And before we start uh, with the sermon, uh, Mel is going to read to us from the... Finally, be strong in the Lord and the mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For, all, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, that, that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for, for all the Lord's people. And I get the pleasure of introducing Greg Strom to you. I don't think I really have to do this because Greg preached in this auditorium 38 years ago, I believe it was, <laughs> and uh, a number of times since then. But I've got a few notes. Uh, Greg went to uh, North Texas University and the Oregon State University, and he has a master's in, divinity, er, in uh, ministry from Pepperdine. He's married to Pam. Pam, raise your hand for us. <laughs> They've been married for 40 years. That's a good start. <laughs> and they do have the same number of children and grandchildren that Lois and I have, two and five. Um, currently, he says he's catching up on 38 years of home projects. And I told him I've been retired 19 years, and I'm not caught up yet, so <laughs> there's no hope. Uh, <laughs> But he's also enjoying the opportunity of preaching for various congregations around uh, Greg. Thank you, Carl. Thanks for your kindness, and all glory goes to God. He's a good and wondrous God. I bring you greetings from Corvallis, and uh, Pam and I have been delighted to get to know Calvin and Alicia Gruen. We haven't had lots of opportunities to interact, but about a year ago, we were at a joint event, we were at an event together, and the words of encouragement and insight that they had to offer to us in this transition time of life, I retired a couple, three months ago, is really wonderful blessing to us. And so I'm really glad that they're serving here with you, and may the Almighty God, the Lord of heaven and earth, bless you as you serve together, that the, the name of the Lord may be proclaimed to every corner of Eugene, Oregon. I'm also excited for some of the campus ministry things that are transpiring here. We've been seriously involved in campus ministry in Carvallis since the 1960s, and so uh, we, uh, we are excited that, that things are happening here, and certainly uh, if we can be of benefit to you, that's an open door. I want you to see this tie, okay? I really want you to notice this tie. One day back at Circle, a guy walked up to me at the end of the assembly and said, traitor. He says, that's a duck tie. 
you might notice it has some little yellow stripes and some green on it. Well, I didn't really know it was a duck tie, but he affirmed that it was. And so I just want you to know that I specifically wore this tie today in honor of being here in Eugene, okay? Your ducks won last night. Never tell my daughter I wore this tie, okay? She will kill me. I need you to have my back there. But it was exciting. They beat Cal last night, and my beavers took down UCLA and the chipster. Maybe you love Chip Kelly, but some of us are... Well, today and next Sunday, I want to preach two sermons that are bookends. Today is primarily about action, and next week will primarily be about rest. Social justice. For some of you, the mere mention of those words just wants you to grit your teeth, and you probably need to go to the dentist so that you don't break any teeth or have any words come out of your mouth that aren't supposed to come out. On the other side of the coin, there are people who really hear this phrase social justice, and for them, that's the epitome of what they think church should be about. And uh, if you spend much time around campus, I'd be shocked if the idea of social justice hasn't come up, at very least, if not literally those words, the sense, the ideas that are behind social justice. And I think one of the reasons social justice prompts such intense reaction in the United States currently is the fact that social justice has entered the realm of political talk. Political talk. So whether we talk about income inequality or corporations or immigration or the border on the South, these things have all gotten linked with social justice and so consequently they're hot-button issues for lots of us. Now I'm not going to tell you what to think this morning in terms of every case and every question, but what I want to do is invite us to think about this from a common launching pad which is we're Christian. That's who we are. That's our identity. And being Christian means that we live out the resurrected life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in action. So this morning I plan to examine a scripture that really helps us answer two two questions. Who is God and what is God's work? If we can start there, who is God and what is God's work, I think we're off to a good start. Because from that foundation, you can choose thoughts that are informed by faith and the nature of God and actions that are informed by faith and the nature of God. We're considering this morning Psalm 68. It's a long psalm. It moves in various directions. Please open up to Psalm 68. I'll be tapping back on it from time to time as we go through. It is long, but maybe it's not a bad idea to be able to read the Bible in church. Psalm 68. May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. As smoke is blown away by the wind, may you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God. Sing praise to His name. Extol Him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. The Lord, And rejoice before Him. A father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in His holy dwelling. 
God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with saying, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When you went out before your people, O God, when you marched through the wasteland, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain. Before God, the one of, Israel, of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, you gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it, and from your bounty, O God, you provided for the poor. The Lord announced the word. And great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings and armies flee in haste. In the camps men divide the plunder. <coughs> Even while you sleep among the campfires, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver, its feathers with shining gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings in the land, it was like snow fallen on Zalma. The mountains of Bashan are majestic mountains. Rugged are the mountains of Bashan. Why gaze in envy, O rugged mountains, at the mountain where God chooses to reign, where the Lord himself will dwell forever? The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from men, even from the rebellious. From you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on in their sins. The Lord says, I will bring them from Bashan. I will bring them from the depths of the sea, that you may plunge your feet in the blood of your foes while the tongues of your dogs have their share. Your procession has come into view, O God. The procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. In front are the singers, after them with the musicians, with them are the maidens playing tambourines. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. There's little tribe of Benjamin leading them. There the great thongs of throng of Judah's princes, and there the princes of Zebulun and of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God. Show us your strength, O God, as you have done before. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. Rebuke the beast among the reeds, the herd of bulls among the calves of the nations. Humbled, may it bring bars of silver. Scatter the nations who delight in war. Envoys will come from Egypt. Cush will submit herself to God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord, to him who rides the ancient skies above, who thunders with mighty voice. Proclaim the power of God whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Let's begin with a big picture view of this song of worship. In essence, this is a psalm, a song, that celebrates the ways that God worked for Israel in the wilderness while we're there. And during the conquest of the promised land, God was at work for the sake of his people. But the, the singers who are singing this in the temple 
recognize that just as God was present and active in the past, this very same God is present and active in the present, in the here and now. That God is at work in this present generation. And you noted as I read through that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of ideas and side trips we could take to understand this psalm. But again, here's where I want to go. Two questions. Who is God? What is God's work? Now, before we go a step farther, one of the things we've got to recognize is that the social structure of ancient Israel is very, very different from the social structure of 21st century United States of America. Government of Israel was a theocracy. God is king. And God and his law were supreme. And included in that law were some ideas like made sure that aliens and widows and orphans were cared for. And it's very much a top-down kind of world. United States of America, we live in a constitutional republic and things are sort of the other way around. It's supposed to be government by the people. And the folks in Washington, D.C. are supposed to pass laws that are representative of our wishes, our desires, desires, and sometimes included in that, they attempt to put in a place a, a safety net for folks who need that. But top down, bottom up. But the crucial fact to remember, here's the third option. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And that trumps every other political system we bow our knee to. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's our first allegiance. That's our first call to obedience. And that commonality is greater than any different opinions we may have about some of these social justice questions. Now I'll just share one of my opinions. Usually it seems like church is better at caring for people than government, but that's just my and just in case anything I say today makes you hot under the collar, please stop and contemplate it with the awareness that we are citizens of the kingdom of Almighty God. We live in Oregon. Let's talk about the weather. And in the process, let's understand some things about who is God. Because it's interesting, in this psalm, it over and over and over likens God to the weather. Verse 2, God is like wind that blows away his enemies. Verse 4, God rides on the clouds. Now that's really loaded language. Because in other places in the Old Testament, this rider on the clouds language says some very specific things about who God is. Deuteronomy 33:26, God rides on the clouds to help his people. He drives out enemies so the people can dwell in a land of grain and new wine. Isaiah 19:1, the Lord rides on the clouds and terrifies Egyptians and her idols. He rides on the clouds. Verse 8. God poured down rain, and that's what made the promised land bountiful, the land of milk and honey. It's because of the weather that God brings about. Verse 33, God thunders his voice and has power in the skies. So one of the things we observe from this psalm is that God is like the weather, but not so changeable. He's like the weather. You've been around church quite a while, some of you. 
You ever wondered why Israel was so quick to bow the knees to the Baal idol? Well, Baal was a fertility god. He was the one who was supposed to bring agricultural success. And in some ancient documents, reveals that Baal was called the rider on the clouds. He's the one who makes the weather. He's the one who makes the rain. He's the one who makes your crop grow. But in contrast, this psalm reveals, no, 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 no. It's Yahweh, the almighty God who runs the weather. It's Yahweh who will bring you agricultural success. The true and living God is the creator of heaven and earth. And here's a big point. Ding, 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 ding. The whole creation of God is designed to sustain all of humanity. Hear it again. The whole creation of God is designed to sustain all of humanity. Remember the words of Jesus. 545, love your enemies that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes, catch this, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God provides sun, rain for all people. Because you see, God has designed His creation so that it will sustain all humanity. God, the genuine rider on the clouds, has put His creation together in such a way to sustain all people. Who is God? Well, this psalm says He's like the weather. But now, let's consider God's work. What He does for His people. Verse 5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. God is absolutely a merciful father to the helpless. That's his nature. That reveals the heart of God that we've all got to internalize. A merciful father. He shows mercy to the afflicted. And one of the specific things that's mentioned is that he puts the lonely in families. You know, if you were to look around here today at your brothers and sisters and the folks who have come by to visit, Who's lonely? What are you doing about that? What are you doing to decrease loneliness, not only for the folks that you sit together with on Sunday, but for the folks who live across the street too? Another way to say that is, what are you doing to make sure that this is a home for newcomers as well? Work of God, verse 19. Praise be to the Lord who daily bears our burdens. Oh, Greg, my life is just too much. I can't even take it. Stop and recognize that whether you know it or not, God is bearing your burden. Now, fact is, because we're Christian, we also acknowledge Galatians 6.2, which specifically tells Christians to bear one another burdens and in the process fulfill that love one another as I have loved you, Jesus commands. But recognize that part of the work of God is that He is holding you up at this very moment, whether you recognize it or not. Work of God, 35. The God of Israel gives power and strength to His people. That very same God, verse 3 says, He makes the righteous glad, happy, and joyful. 
Those are the kinds of things that God is about. Do you suppose it would make sense for the people of God to be about some of the, some of the same things? Here's the contrast. You pick up in the middle of verse 6, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. People who are rebellious against God find themselves always enduring bad weather, awful weather. Think back to the wilderness. There were those grumbling, mumbling, murmuring people, and the end result of all of that was that they got dead in the wilderness, sun-scorched land. Here's where I'm going. Living a life that is anti-God will break you away from the blessing of God. Verse 11, when God proclaims His word during the conquest of Canaan, kings and armies were scattered like snow. And we jump down to verse 30, and the people who are singing the psalm in the present are really singing and praying, scatter the nations who delight in war. You want to know something about the work of God? God is against the war done by evil nations, and God wins the war against evil nations. But why? What's this all about? Verse 28, God's hope. God's hope is always that evil nations who are at war will turn away from war and turn to worship of the Almighty Father, the true rider on the clouds. So what? Well, God's war against evil continues to this very day. And we've got to consider our call as the people of God. What role do we play in the war? Whatever I say in this sermon, you must not hear me as blaming the victim. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know all the combination of events that lead people to the life decisions that they make. I don't know all the combination of events that result in the kind of life that people lead choose or fall into or what sin they commit. I'm not at all about blaming the victim. Remember a moment ago I said something about if you are living anti-God, you break yourself away from the blessings of God? Sometimes horrible habits are the causes of poverty, disease, drive drunk, disaster. I know that sometimes the lifestyle of parents starts a cycle of abuse and broken relationships and, and living just wrongly that is very, very difficult to break. The human choice goes from generation to generation. I know that even parts of Corvallis where I live, if a child grows up in that part of town, it's just going to be tougher for that child to come out drug-free and having appropriate kinds of relationships because of the environment and the examples that are all around that child. And here's where I'm driving. Here's what I want you to understand. We, as the people of God, must play some role in helping people escape the godless life and be reconciled to the God of blessing, the rider on the clouds. Now, I'm going to mention some specific ideas here for a couple of minutes. I'm not convinced that I have them all right. 
but I want you to think about these kinds of things that are going on in the here and now in the culture around us through that lens of we're kingdom people and who is God and what is the heart of God. On the news, there's lots of talk about what? Opioid crisis. Some folks have suggested that drug companies kind of didn't tell the truth about their drugs. I don't know if that's true. But I know that I have interacted with folks who are on the receiving end of those drugs and their life gets blown up. What's my responsibility to that person? Walk on the other side of the road or pick them up and try to tuck them to the inn like a Samaritan did once upon a time? We hear about human trafficking for slavery, for immoral purposes. God forbid that any of us would avail ourselves of the evil things that are done with those people. But beyond that, is there a way that we've got to be acting that makes that less likely to occur? My opinion when a person chooses abortion for no other reason other than it's birth control after the fact, I have to ask, where's the justice for the unborn? And yet, if I'm going to take that stance, I also have to be willing to come up with some money to help the single mom so that if she chooses to keep this child, that child is fed and diapered and cared for and educated. And I think that's Christian response. And this is one of the prayers that I pray. You can decide if it's right or wrong. I pray that God eradicates the false doctrine of Islam because I think it damages so many women in corners of the world and results in some persecution that I am not praying against the people, I'm praying against the false doctrine. Do you hear the difference? So on the other side of the coin, if those are some kinds of realities in the world we dwell, there are a couple things that are stories from my experience with Circle Church in Carvallis that, well, I know that you have interest in CRF, Christian Relief Fund. I saw that on your website. Milton Jones is an acquaintance, a friend of, of Pam and mine. And uh, over the years, we drilled four wells in Kenya, West Africa, in drought-stricken land. And the most exciting thing to hear about that is that people come to those wells, and they come to fill their containers, and yet they find the living water of Jesus most satisfying. Second story. I'll call this girl Joan. Joan. Joan came from another city to Carvallis to go to Oregon State University. Eventually dropped into our campus ministry house, started coming to church. And reality is she came from one of those families that had all kinds of things that you wish a child didn't experience, like physical abuse and the example of broken marriage after broken marriage and all manner of kinds of things that are just in that cycle of abuse and that are so easy for people to replicate. But one of the things that transpired was that our campus minister 
took her under his arm and basically was a father to her. And when I speak with her, I remind her that I'm Grandpa Greg. And she smiles about that. But here's the good news. She grew up in this world where it is time after time after time after time after time seeing the wrong things, but over four years, she is exposed to a different world. She got married about a year ago. It's doing very, very well. Didn't make the mistake in choosing a mate that she's seen modeled. And I give all the praise and glory to God, but it also says something positive about the power of campus ministry and intergenerational relationships. The difference you can make by simply showing people this is what family can look like. And verse 30, people who are singing this song are, whoops, wrong page. 103.6 proclaims, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Isn't that the heart of God? It is. And that demands that I pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm not one of those people who thinks that when I say, oh, I'll pray for you, that that's just like, get out of my life, I got something more important. I am convinced that when we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that God can choose to move heaven and earth in response. So what do you think? What should the human response be to God's weather and God's work? I look back again at Romans chapter 3, and one of the things that I observe there, it points to the fact that all people sin and that God graciously demonstrated Jesus or provided Jesus as sacrifice. We talked about that at the table. But Romans 3 also talks about God demonstrates his justice at the cross. Justice was done. Sin was punished. But mercy is extended in the fact that I wasn't punished when I was the one who did the sin. And God calls all people who are oppressed by sin to faith in Jesus. Oh yeah, we're in church. We talk about faith. Faith is such a potent reality it is a stance, it is a decision that will absolutely change the direction of your life to the extent where you will confess, Jesus is Lord, I'm not king, he is. It will take you to the waters of baptism where, yes, old life dies, but think about the beauty of this metaphor. It's a moment of birth. Birth to new life. Here's where I'm driving. And talk about social justice. The very best thing that we can do for every person on this globe is helping them get right for God. And the very best thing you can do if you want to live a blessed life is to get right with God. Once you get that foundation in place, there are a lot of other things that can sort out well. And verse 10, if you want to make that step of faith, Carl will be here when I finish preaching and you can speak with him. 
Verse 10 recognizes the great gift God gave when he led his people to the promised land made it bloom. From your bounty, O God, you provided for the poor. God's creation sustains humanity. We've talked about that. But here's some more aspect of the heart of God. God's law said don't move boundary stones. Why? That way a family could continue to grow food for themselves. Landowners, leave some food behind so people can glean. You remember the Ruth story. She's recently from Mount Moab. She and her mother-in-law are hungry. She goes out to the field of Boaz and she gathers grain to feed herself and her mother-in-law. See, when we talk about social justice, it's also okay to talk about the reality of work is a God-ordained, God-blessed activity. It rains bread, manna, go pick it up, work. New Testament, Ephesians 4.28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. What if a church decided to help some of the people who are homeless learn how to seek a job, keep a job, and thrive at a job? So teaching people to work is, is good, but so is standing for the person who has been taken advantage of by others. In class, we were talking about the prophet Hosea. Meet Amos. The Old Testament Amos, he strongly condemns dishonest judges who take a bribe. I think you may remember, it's been some months ago, this fellow named Jussie Smollett, who was an actor, allegedly staged an attack, and the judge wiped away the consequence. And there's questions about why did that happen, and that's in the United States of America. Amos is concerned about dishonest merchants. What would he say to drug companies? One of the things that I'm observing as I talk to various people is that it seems like the simple ethic of honesty is just starting to erode in our nation. And Amos points his bony finger right in the nose of people who are living in incredible luxury and in the process making it impossible for the people at the bottom of the heap to even stay alive. Let justice roll on like a river, righteous like, like a never-failing stream. So, in light of the weather and the work of God, let's talk about who we are as a congregation. Let's talk about some concrete things. Matthew 25, you know that parable. When you see your brother, when you see your sister in prison, in hospital, in sickness, in hunger, in thirst, you see Jesus. 1 Timothy 5 calls us to care for our widows financially if need be. Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And as I said, when I say I'll pray for you, I don't think that's a hollow statement. I trust that this is a congregation that the moment you hear about the sister who's wrestling with depression, the brother who just got injured at work, the sister who is losing her job, the brother who 
that you wear out your knees for them. But not just for one another, for the people across the street as well. That somehow the folks who live around this congregation will finally understand that life with God and life together in the church is exactly what they have been missing to make them live abundant life. Okay, I'm almost finished. Thank you for being so gracious in your listening. I always want to be a person who's growing in the imitation of Christ. And some of the things I'm presenting today are things that I'm trying to sort out, things that I'm trying to understand. But I recognize for sure that just as Israel was God's vehicle to bless the world, the church is now God's vehicle to be an incarnation of Christ and to bless the world. And so it comes down to this. The greatest hope for justice in the world is still God and His people. That's where it will come from. Because God designed His creation to sustain everyone. God blesses everyone who seeks His way. And God is against all who choose evil. But imagine. What if? What if you were a group of Christians who not only were committed to resist evil at every turn in your own lives, not only committed to provide for one another, but also committed to say, my coworker has a rotten life and he doesn't know Jesus. And somebody ought to say something. And somebody is me. We are in nothing less than a war. But remember, church, our struggle is never against flesh and blood. People are never the enemy. It's the evil one. Our struggle is the one who continues to beat people down with wrong ideas and deceit and deception until they finally break and bow the knee and say, okay, I guess that's the way that I have to live. And that's a root of all kinds of things going wrong in people's lives and all kinds of unjust things happening. Last sentence. Thanks for hanging in with me. Last sentence. God... Let it rain. King Jesus, let your rain cover all the earth. Let us sing together. Is that